Welcome to Locked On 49ers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Brian Peacock back with you again on this Tuesday episode. This show is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. It is a Tuesday mailbag episode. Well, partially a Tuesday mailbag episode. I will hit some questions here to start, but I want to finish my conversation with Oscar Aparicio of Better Rivals talking George Kittle contract negotiations and Robert Sala's defense, how it has evolved since 2017 and what it might look like in 2020 and beyond if he leaves to become a head coach elsewhere after this season. If you ever want to get involved with a Locked On 49ers mailbag show or just say hi, Find me on Twitter at BDPeacock, email LockedOn49ers at Gmail, and of course you can find this show on all of your favorite podcast apps, just like any program here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Let's kick this off with Gotham, a frequent tweeter into the show who says, the 49ers are obviously in a Super Bowl window and in win-now mode. What can the Niners do to avoid a Rams-like situation? throwing away numerous draft picks for expensive free agency acquisitions that didn't pan out and sacrificing the future? It's a really good question. And for one, the 49ers have done things differently in that while they have paid their running back position a lot of money, they didn't sink all of that money into one player who was who became a liability as far as his contract. And they had to eat a bunch of money to get Todd Gurley off the books. The 49ers haven't done that so they've been really good with the contracts they have signed which I think is key so you know all of those progged up contracts and we'll talk a little bit about that with you know it gets dicey giving a whole bunch of people a whole bunch of money and the 49ers have a lot of good players George Kittle the next up to uh, to get a mega contract so what will he get how will that impact the 49ers future with what the salary cap might be doing here in the near future so that's important one thing that's been different about the draft approach is that the 49ers have traded away day two picks, but they've kept their first rounders. And they even added a first rounder this year, trading away DeForest Buckner. The Rams have gotten rid of all their first round picks for like five straight years, but they've had a lot of picks in rounds two, three, and beyond. So they have collected later picks, but they just haven't had first rounders. So we'll see how that goes. More of a a quantity over quality approach for the Rams drafts. The Niners, it's been a little bit of the other side where they've been going for quality and they even moved up in round one when most people expected them to move back. So that's what's different. The 49ers, I'll take Shanahan over. And we talked about this with with Oscar. I'll take Shanahan over Sean McVay, even though I think Sean McVay is a pretty good quarterback. And it was pointed out recently that uh, the 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 Rams were very close to, uh, talking about uh, Super Bowl hangover, the Rams were very close to making the playoffs last year. Could have gone uh, a number of different ways in sh- close games. A missed field goal might have put them in the playoffs. So they could have very very easily been a one or an 11 win team. So it's not like they are st- uh, an awful team in the NFL. The NFC West just happens to be very difficult and the Niners becoming really good hurt the Rams as much as, as anything. So the competition will be stiff for the 49ers in the division. That'll be one of the big things, whether it's a Super Bowl hangover or or not. It's just not that easy to win week in and week out and year after year in the NFL. We talk a lot about that with the, the 49ers look back tomorrow with Nick Winkler. When looking back at some of these teams, it's like, man, this is a great team. Some of the teams I think were the better teams didn't have the best record. Some of the teams that you thought were great didn't win a Super Bowl. 
and were better than other teams that did win Super Bowl. So you just never know what the competition is going to be, how the ball is going to bounce any given year. Injuries, of course, play a big factor in all of this. So they're not the same. They haven't been run exactly the same, but the number one reason why they won't is they've kept their first-round picks. If they get high-end talent for those first-rounders, that will be huge. And they have been much better as far as paying out contracts to veteran players so far. And even the ones where they've overpaid guys, their contracts that they can get out of. And we might have to see the 49ers do that so they can hold on to George Kittle. You might have to lose Quan Alexander, and you might have to lose D Ford. And... The Niners are in a position where I think by necessity now, even if Kyle Shanahan wants to continue to pay running backs, I mean, those undrafted guys are just playing too well. So I think resource-wise and dollar-wise, the running back position is going to suffer at least uh, as far as getting paid. So the Niners are going to have to lean on some young, cheaper players at running back when we see Jarek McKinnon go and Tevin Coleman go eventually and rely on some of the the draft picks and undrafted free agents they have at that position that will save them some money. And the other thing is some of the other places the 49ers are putting money into like the offensive and defensive lines is huge. And I think that's something the Rams should have been doing, focusing more on the offensive line rather than running back. And then they went out and drafted a second round running back after the Todd Gurley thing and not drafting offensive line. So front office strategy, I definitely will take where the 49ers are going, the direction they're taking things with their front office decisions. I'm going to give my guy James a pass here because he's in Adelaide, Southern Australia. He wants to know what the scoop is on D Ford's knee. Heard there's an update. Yeah, there's an update. You might have missed an episode, James. Uh, D Ford did have knee surgery. He revealed recently when talking to reporters that he had a he had a, a knee cleanup a couple weeks after the Super Bowl, and he says it feels really good, and it it's not going to completely fix his chronic knee arthritis condition most likely but hopefully it helps him this year and he's able to play a lot more snaps he see he says he's feeling a lot better now than he did last year at this time so an uptick in snaps for D Ford will be fantastic because uh, he's a really impactful player for the pass rush and even if he's just on the field in in third downs and second long situations that'll be fine but yeah a knee cleanup procedure for D Ford and he's feeling good so that is a good report about D Ford's knee I don't know if the 49ers will be be able to afford to pay him next year. But for now, uh, it's it's nice to have uh, that little element of speed coming off the edge and a healthy D Ford will just make for an even better defense for the 49ers in 2020. I get this question a lot. This is from Alejandro. Says Dante Pettis seems to be in a make-or-break year with him in his third in the offense and with Jimmy G. Could he be a fantasy steal? He could be like basically Dante Pettis should be free in his fantasy league. So pick him up just in case, because it wouldn't be completely shocking if Dante Pettis led 49ers wide receivers in 2020. And it wouldn't be a shock if he didn't even make the roster to start the season. Like that's how make or break Dante Pettis's training camp is going to be. I have no idea what to expect with Dante Pettis. Like they, the 49ers didn't even allow a healthy Dante Pettis to have a uniform in the last game they played. He was a healthy scratch, and he came into the season as the expected starting wide receiver. So it could go in any number of directions for Dante Pettis. The guy is squirrely as all hell, can get open, has natural hands. He's too gifted of a player to be completely cut, so maybe it's a trade is why he's not on the roster for the 49ers, but he could absolutely end up being the starting wide receiver with Debo Samuel and having a really big year. I do not know what to expect at all from Dante Pettis. 
Carson asks, how much time do you put into researching an average potential first round player for your draft prep? How much time does it take to prep for each year's draft overall? Oh my gosh, I'm almost embarrassed to say how much time I put into prepping the draft because it's a stupid amount of time. I watch every prospect I can. I think it was a little bit less time put into it this year than last year just because I have a few more responsibilities now so I had less time to put into it. But essentially when it, between January and April, almost all of my free time is I'm watching prospects and I'm reading about draft and I'm looking for new players to watch and I'm watching guys and I'm making notes and I'm playing with scenarios. It's it's constant. First of all, I love the draft. It intrigues me so much. And I do fashion myself as an amateur scout, so I like to see how good I am and compare myself to teams and, and, and how good they do. It's why I do the Shadow 49ers draft, because I want to remember the guys that I would have selected at the time, and I don't want to be a hindsight scout. So I spend a ton of time. I, I It's hard to say exactly how much time, because I go back and forth and watch a guy multiple times at, at different portions of the offseason. I'll watch players during the, the college season, although I'm not a huge college football fan. So usually when I am watching college football, it's through the lens of, is this an NFL draft prospect? And so I go back and I watch players during the season. I go back and watch a lot of players more heavily when I find out which underclassmen are actually going to be in the draft in January, you know, and it starts really kicks off in depth with the senior bowl and the shrine game and some of that stuff. And of course the combine, and I'm just constantly going back and watching players and then re-ranking them. And then I go back and watch guys that I missed and then trying to find some diamonds in the rough. And so uh, there's, it's just, Hours upon hours upon hours of time I spend on draft prospects. It's really hard to give you a number of overall time or even how much time I spend on on one player. But I try to watch multiple games on all the top guys because I want to be really informed on the top guys. Uh, with the later round guys, it's, it's a little bit harder. And some players from smaller schools, it's hard to find a lot of tape to watch too. So that can be more difficult. And obviously, you don't get a chance to interview guys and you can't get a face-to-face. So you don't really know the prospects. It's the one missing element of being a couch scout is getting to know a player, knowing their background information, knowing about some secrets in their closet, and knowing about their medical. Okay, I want to have enough time here to get to the rest of my conversation with Oscar Aparicio. So let's get to that next, talking George Kittle contract negotiations and Robert Sala's defense. This episode of Lockdown 49ers is brought to you in part by rockauto.com. One reason to repair or maintain your car is it saves money. Do you even know what kind of motor oil is in your car? Honestly, I had to look it up because I wanted to order some things from rockauto.com. I needed some jumper cables, like standard things. I thought I had jumper cables. I didn't. I needed some oil for my car. I didn't even know what kind of oil was in my newest car. You can save yourself a lot of money by doing things yourself rockauto.com can help and then spend that extra money on some more important things in your life, right? Like food or your rent or your mortgage payment or for a lot of people in quarantine, alcohol. Why would you choose to spend 30%, 50%, even twice as much for the exact same auto parts at a chain store or a new car dealership? Just go to rockauto.com, a family owned business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years They have everything you need from engine control modules, if you happen to know what that is, brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, and even a new interior carpet for your vehicle. Whether it's for your classic or a daily driver, they have an amazing selection, reliably low prices, all parts for your car you will ever need. 
Go to rockauto.com right now, right in Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us section so they know we sent you rockauto.com. Continuing the George Kittle contract conversation, and when it comes to the massive dollars we're talking about for a tight end, I know for sure Parag is not going to be cool with throwing down that kind of cash for and almost doubling, the, basically be essentially what they did at fullback with Kyle Juszczyk and, and doubling what the, the next highest paid tight end would be when you start talking oh. about nearly $20 million. Because if they gave him $12 million, that would be a 10% raise on what the top tight end already is getting in the league. So $14 million is already more than what most players would be, be able to ask as far as what a, a raise on the top of the market is at their position group. So this one could get ugly, and I'm really not looking forward to that George Kittle holdout because if they want more than 15 or $16 million, I think that's the way it has to go from Kittle's camp is a holdout, and uh, that's not good for the 49ers. You know, I, I do think that the Niners, it, it, it once the only place this contract begins to worry me is once you start getting into like the 20 million dollar a year range then it's like okay like he'd have to be he'd have to do some other things to in order to kind of meet that value but there's still a wide delta between 12 million dollars a year and 19 million dollars a year or 20 million dollars a year that kittle can land in and, and still provide value for the 49ers i don't think that this is comparable to the use check situation in the slightest because fullbacks are readily available good fullbacks are readily available and while Juszczyk is great and he's awesome, the things that he does are not so unique a skill set in the NFL that they're, that they're rare and you can't find them. You know, you look at Juszczyk and I was like, oh, well, Juszczyk really makes the Niners offense go. It's like, well, man, it's a good thing the Niners didn't have an offense for the four or five weeks that he was out in 2019. And, and you know what? They still did. And it was <laughs> right. still a good offense for those five weeks. I think with, without George Kittle, that situation is very different. Your use check is one of maybe like the top four or five best fullbacks in the league. Sure. But there's only 15 fullbacks that play any significant number of snaps. And there's a reason that by and large, they're getting paid three, four, five million dollars a year. You're talking about tight end where if people would absolutely pay tight ends top dollar if they could find them, but they really can't. I think Austin Hooper chief among them, right? There's your example of someone who's like not very good, but is getting paid a ton of money just because people want to get a good tight end. And, and so I think that the, the value you get from a fullback is very different than the value you're going to get from someone like George Kittle, which is why paying George Kittle, you know, maybe 2x what you're thinking of he might get if you're hoping he comes in at 10 million, but he comes in at 19 million is very different than paying Kyle Juszczyk, you know, 3x what fullbacks going rate is. No, yeah, scarcity is a great point, and I don't have the numbers in front of me. Something like two yards per carry better in the run game when Kittle was in there versus when not. So that that's the other thing. And, and with Kittle, and, and when you decide how much to pay him versus a, a wide receiver, the one thing I think of that I would, and this is what sucks with negotiations because you have to tell the agent the reason why they don't deserve, you know, crazy money. I don't know if George Kittle's that guy where it's like, okay, third down and eight, he can shake anybody, make this play, make this catch, like you would expect, you know, an AJ Green of the world or Odell Beckham, you know, whatever high end wide receiver that you're comparing his monetary value, what they can do as a receiver when the game is on the line, make that one play. Cause George Kittle is, is an awesome player and is so important and impactful for the 49ers offense and an amazing blocker. So good after the catch. Um, just, I mean, locker room presence, everything about him. I love him. He deserves everything he gets for sure. But that would be the one argument I would have to weigh. The reason top wide receivers get paid what they paid is that third and eight. Are you, 
can you not cover this human being on third and eight? And we could tell you where the ball is going and you can't shut that down. Does he have that level of receiving ability? That would be the one question. And give me a little bit pause to go crazy with with his money. Was the end of the New Orleans game a third and eight? Uh, because I think because it felt like a, it felt like it was something like that, and and I feel like if if your point is with the game on the line that you're not sure if he can shake no. someone, the game the game winning reception, I think that New Orleans game might be the counterpoint that that crumbles this cast of cards. Right that was that was fourth and two, fourth wasn't it? Yeah, fourth and two. But yeah, so he caught that uh, essentially out of the backfield, right? And and then rumbled. Was, so, no, he was in line and it was a, it was basically an option route. He had the option to go outside or inside. And and it was a, a play they set up earlier where he, you know, he was attacking that linebacker. And and this time, you know, he he broke out because he saw inside leverage and, and there it was. I think out. with yeah, Kittle, he caught it somewhat near the sticks and then he did then he, then he rumbled after that, right? I think with Kittle, the the thing that you you've got to worry about with him um or not even worry about, but the reason I think that I'm comfortable paying him is not because of some you know, oh, with third and eight on the line, can that guy make the reception if you know where the ball's going? I think defenses nowadays, if you tell them where the ball's going, they're going to shut down Julio Jones. They're going to shut down Calvin Johnson. There, there's ways to take those kinds of players away. I think George Kittle's impact is not just, you know, kind of feeding into that Shanahan schematic versatility where you've got an elite receiving threat that can go up in the middle of the field against linebackers and safeties in an area where Jimmy Garoppolo loves to throw the ball and is historically very good at throwing the ball. Because if you were to give Jimmy Garoppolo a, a deep threat like Marquise Goodwin or someone who's really good on outside routes or outside breaking routes, I'm not entirely sure that Garoppolo would be able to use that tool in his toy box as well as he uses someone who's very good in the middle of the field like George Kittle. So I think you've got a, a team fit, a scheme fit, and you've got that versatility fit that Shanahan loves where it's like, I've got this tight end that makes me one of the best running teams in football, but also one of the best receiving threats in football. But you also think of what his impact is away from the ball. Okay, you've got George Kittle. You know that it's, you know, fourth and eight, third and eight, whatever the case may be. Do we have to bracket him on the interior with the safety and linebacker? And what that does is it frees up Ayuk or it frees up Debo and puts them in a one-on-one -on -one situation where they don't have safety help over the top, where they can do something that, that they're now isolated on a man because of the threat of George Kittle. So while George Kittle may not catch every third down, every fourth down, there's still a George Kittle effect where you've got to rotate and account for him, and that changes the structure of the defense on the whole. So I do think that he, he will and can bring value. And, and I think really in my heart of hearts, I do think he will be a Niner for a very, very long time. And I wouldn't be surprised if, if it took you know $19 million to do it. And I think that's fine. I look at it as uh, like around $16 million is the over under where the 49ers, if they can get him for 16 or less, uh, I think that's a fantastic value. And it's such a huge pay raise for the tight end market that I think they might be able to do that because yeah. like your argument for $20 million is, is convincing. It's like, let's go, whatever it takes, man, because he is so important and um, much more so than DeForest Buckner. As good as DeForest Buckner was paying a defensive tackle that money, uh, I thought that was a shrewd move by the 49ers. Uh, I, George Kittle, I would put in a different class that it's like, whatever it takes, you know, let, let's let's do that. So I'm with you. I even tried to poke holes in the idea of giving him $19 million, and it's it's really hard to do. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I got actually, one of the first things I bought my newborn daughter was a, a George Kittle onesie. So yes. she's she's got the she's got the Kittle onesie for game day. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be awesome. I love that. What started as 
a podcast that was supposed to be a short conversation, Oscar, uh, has turned a lot longer. So this became a two-parter. I still want to talk defense with you. Let's get into Robert Sala's scheme and his future as a head coach next. So Robert Sala, going back to 2017, do you remember all the conversations we had about who's going to play the Michael Bennett strong side defensive end role? Who's going to play Leo? And that position doesn't even exist anymore for the 49ers defense. Uh, the 49ers scheme has changed quite a bit. There's still a lot of cover three involved, but a lot more split safety looks, interchangeable safeties, a lot more man coverage we're seeing now. The defensive line is employed in a completely different way they have three off ball true linebackers now in that base defense what have you seen from Robert Sala in 2017 versus Robert Sala in 2019 and well I'll get to the uh, future head coach Robert Sala stuff after this but I just want to know what your thoughts are on Sala and how that defense has changed in the last few years I think that the evolution of Sala's defense has been really really awesome to watch and, and I think that Sala does the thing that really a lot of good coaches do, which is they're not afraid to bring in new people with new ideas and, and really implement those ideas. And, and I think that's what happened a bit with Kasurik and with Joe Woods. I think those were two of the best additions for the 49ers in, in 2019 that were not players, but had the impact of signing really, really good players. You, you talked about the, the cover three single high scheme that everyone slaps on Robert Sala. And it's true. He does come off of that branch of defense, but his schematic evolution is as you've said now you see more split safety looks and and really it's an increase in cover four specifically for the 49ers and robert sala coming into 2020 the niners were in a single high defense cover one cover three uh, about 75 percent of the time and and when you think about what that is you know that that's what you what you think of when you think robert sala single high you know cover three or cover one well, now you get to 2019 and his cover four percentage is like north of 25, 28%. And, and that's a dramatic shift from the two years previously where it was like in the like single digits or low, like 12, 13, 14%. Over the course of a season, that's a pretty big shift. And, and there's a couple different reasons why I think the Niners are, are playing more cover four. And, and really, what is cover four? Cover four is, is kind of a zone coverage look with some main principles, depending on their out concept. You've got four deep defenders, three underneath defenders. Cool. Well, why do you run cover four? You basically are preventing getting outmanned with pass-happy offenses. You look at a team like Arizona, they're going to be a pass-happy offense. We know they're at. So your game plan is going to lean cover four. Cover four also allows you to put someone in position for some of those RPOs that you often get that you know that Murray likes to run as well. And, and you've got a, a safety who has, you know, is, is aligned deep, but has some run fit responsibilities. And, and the game plans shift as well. So now you're giving the, the defense another kind of tool to deploy. It's not just cover three. It's like, well, we can also play cover four if we need to. First, the Falcons, the Niners played cover one or cover zero 14% of the time. Uh, basically, they were, you know, not putting extra men in the box because they knew that someone like Julio could beat them. And eventually he did. Uh, but against the Bengals, they were in cover one or cover zero 45% of the time, which meant that they were very likely to have an extra person down in the box because that's where they felt more threatened from a team like the Bengals. And so the, the rise of cover four wasn't necessarily this kind of like, we're just going to play more cover four. It's like, we're situationally going to play more cover four based on the teams that we're playing. And, and the breaking away from this insistence on always being able to play cover three or always being able to play single high, I think really benefited the Niners defense 
And, and it, you know, ultimately, I think it cost them in the Super Bowl because they, they did put, revert back to what they knew that cover one, you know, cover three defense that Patrick Mahomes was able to beat on that long third down. But I think on the whole, that evolution, playing more split safeties, having interchangeable safeties, as you said, disguising some looks, it's it's pretty clear to me, I think, that disguise is the thing that really good offenses and defenses have to do. Making people think, slowing down that processor, whether you're on offense or defense, is paramount. And the Niners were able to do that more in 2019 with Sala and his defense. I think getting an infusion of talent certainly helps. Getting players that play well certainly helps. But but I think that that evolution into playing more cover four, more split safety looks is is awesome. And, and I think it's one that's going to continue, um, whether it be for the 49ers or wherever Saul is the head coach next year. So in 2019, the 49ers found a gem in Dre Greenlaw at linebacker. And he's probably going to be the reason that the 49ers can afford to not pay Quan Alexander after this season when they have to make some hard decisions guys like D Ford and Quan Alexander it's going to be hard to justify how much money they're making on the 2021 cap especially if that 2021 cap either stays the same or goes down instead of going up 20 million dollars as the 49ers probably expected in February um were you surprised that the 49ers didn't try to go that route with a defensive back on day three? Try to get lucky that they could find maybe a future starting caliber safety or a future starting caliber cornerback with so many players. Uh, Akella Witherspoon, Jaquaski Tart, Richard Sherman, Kwan Williams all coming up as free agents this coming offseason. And do you think that maybe the 49ers didn't look at DBs hard because they might not be sure exactly what scheme they'll be running on defense and I'll say when head or when Robert Sala, not if Robert Sala gets a head coaching job in 2021. You know, I do think that they're making a couple of bets on that defensive secondary that are unrelated to Robert Sala staying or going. I think we have to remember that Robert Sala was uh, not necessarily Shanahan's first pick, but that defensive system was Shanahan's first pick because he wanted Gus Bradley and he wasn't able to get him. And he eventually went. To, to someone else, but that cover three scheme, Shanahan, when he was hired, said that that scheme is one that really gave his offenses a lot of trouble. And so as someone who had a plan for that defense, he knew that he wanted someone in that line and in that vein. So I think even if Robert Sala leaves, the person that ends up filling his shoes may be someone who also has some of those cover one, cover three tendencies. Hopefully they also have some of the multiple defense tendencies, but we'll, we'll see what happens. Cause I agree. I think Robert Sala is going to be an, an up and coming candidate. And, and I think especially as, as a minority candidate, he's probably going to get a lot of interviews and, and more at bats is going to be good for him. Cause I think he, he may wow a team and, and end up getting that job. And, and I was hoping that Joe Woods would actually stay another year and, and actually assume that, that role, but he's moved on as well. And so I think that that's, that's probably something that we have to consider is that whomever Shanahan brings in next is also going to have some of those defensive principles instilled in them and that you're not going to see that big of a shift in terms of defensive personnel. But I do think that at the corner spot, the Niners are really doing, you know, they're really betting on that secondary to continue the play they had in 2019 because we were worried about the secondary after 2018 and thought to ourselves, okay, they, they really have to have an infusion of talent here because they were one of the worst pass defenses in the NFL in 2018. And, and in order for them to do well, in order for them to go really deep into the playoffs and maybe even Super Bowl, it's going to be based on how well the defense performs because we know the offense has kind of a built-in floor with Shanahan. And, and sure enough, the team kind of bet on the, on the defensive backs and they were proved right. 
they were proved right in, in terms of Jimmy Ward having a mostly healthy season and playing really, really well. You know, Sherman getting back to all pro form. Akella Witherspoon, you know, had some ups and downs, but they found a little bit of a diamond in the rough in Emmanuel Mosley. And now he's, I think, the presumptive starter. I think you got to go with the guy that you played in the Super Bowl as the starter. Kwan Williams is just consistently the the silent killer there in the slot that doesn't get a lot of love, but that's because he's doing his job consistently well over and over and over again. I think the team kind of banked on that. And I think from a team building philosophy, this is the team that's really built in the image of John Lynch and and some of that Monty Kiffin it really big front seven type or really effective front seven type of defense where you think that it's the front seven that's going to do most of the damage. And then that secondary is going to kind of be second in the priority list, not unimportant, but second in the priority list. And I think that's how Shanahan and Lynch are building this team. That front seven is the priority drafting Javon Kinlaw, getting Bosa, getting Ford. That's where your one a is in spending resources and your secondary is one B. And, and so I think that's where some of that philosophy paired with some of the bet on the players that you've already got paired with, you know, kind of overall how they performed. And you think to yourself, maybe we don't need to add more people there. We can roll it one more time in 2020 and then think about adding some pieces. Is that the right strategy? I don't personally think so. I do think they needed, a, you know, kind of a bit more talent and infusion there. Um, but I can understand why they're approaching that secondary, the way that they're doing it. And all we can do is hope that the performance that we saw in 2019 is sustained in 2020. That is Oscar Aparicio. He is the host of the Better Rivals Niners Nation podcast. Is that the official name or is it the Niners Nation Better Rivals podcast? Uh, the Better Rivals podcast. Okay. It is on Niners Nation. Gotcha. Uh, okay. You can flip them around, do them how you like it. Uh, ultimately, uh, we're here to make sure that you're a better rival when you're talking about some football. Yes. Be smarter about football, learn some things about football, uh, and be a fantastic Niner fan. I like it. And where can the folks find your Patreon? Uh, they can find us on at patreon.com forward slash better rivals. We, because podcast is obviously not a visual media, uh, we've got a lot of videos that detail the stuff that we talk about on Patreon. We've got scouting videos for Javon Kinlaw, Brandon Ayuk, uh, Joan Jefferson, um, and, and, or Joan Jennings, sorry. Uh, and we've also, we're doing a rewatch month this month and we're watching some old games, had a ton of fun watching the 2003 wild, uh, the 2002 wildcard game have some analysis and some film of that, the 2011 divisional game against the Saints. That was a ton of fun as well. Broke down some of that all 22. Um, so all the videos to see what we're talking about are going to be up on the Patreon. 2002, that's the uh, the botched long snap game? Trey Junkin, my friend. Trey Junkin, uh, there you go. Okay, well, that's yeah. going to be a good episode. I got to check that one out. Oh, man, it's it was so much fun to go back and watch that game. That that was the game where I really, like, I started to really think about writing about the Niners and, and talking about them. And going back and rewatching it, knowing what I know now about football, dude, that game is bonkers. That game is so bonkers. It's it's it was such a fun watch. Terrell Owens, oh god, I I for, I forgot how good Terrell Owens really was. He's a Hall of Fame wide receiver, and I forgot how good he was. He's playing at a different speed than everyone oh in gosh. that game. It's just it's so much fun to watch. Um, that yeah. game. Owens it, probably outweighs ninety percent of current NFL linebackers too. Dude, it's oh man, he was just he was a man among boys. Jason Seahorn is is still trying to pick up uh, or trying to pick out dirt <laughs> from his like eyelids from where he just ate it on a couple of times trying to guard Tolo. And all right, go check that out. You can find Oscar at Better Rivals on Twitter. Oscar, I know you're a brand new dad. Appreciate you giving me the time here and uh, have fun doing daddy business and 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 uh, give my love to your wife because I'm sure um, she needs all the love in the world right now because they are the true heroes in all of this. 
Yeah, they really are, man. I, I told my wife several times over the course of these last days that she is an honest to God superhero. Um, you know, having been there firsthand to see what superheroes do, you're absolutely right. Um, so thanks. It was fun to to talk about some ball for a little bit. Thanks. Uh, and I loved, always love coming on. It's always a pleasure. Thanks again to Oscar. Thanks everybody for listening. Be back tomorrow. Another winky Wednesday right here. Locked on 49ers.